Luke chapter number 24, Luke 24, and if it's all right with you, I'm going to read more than just two or three verses of Scripture. I want you to hear the power of this story. Luke 24, verse number 13 says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day, the day of the resurrection, to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they walked together, and they began to discuss all the things that have happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you are having with one another as you walk? And why are you sad? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women in our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all of what the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to stay with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us. So they rose up that very day, that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is indeed risen. Today on this Easter weekend, we celebrate the greatest event in the history of the world. The event that secured and sealed the fact that Jesus was our Savior, and made fast our salvation. And that this event began on a Sunday, eight days prior, what we call Palm Sunday. That's when Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Monday came, and that's when he turned over the money changers' tables in the temple and declared that his house should be a house of prayer. On Tuesday, one of his disciples cut a deal with the devil to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. On Wednesday, he mourned over Jerusalem and predicted his own death. On Thursday, he ate his last supper and agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane. On Friday, he paid the ultimate price for our sin as he hung on the cross. On Saturday was a day of doubt. The disciples that had once stood by him all of a sudden scattered and feared for their lives. Oh, how I hate the Fridays and Saturdays of life. The Fridays when things don't go the way that they're supposed to, when they don't go as predicted, where our hopes seem dashed and our dreams are shattered. I hate the Fridays and I hate the Saturdays that follow, those times of doubt, those times of mourning. But here's the good news. If you're in a Friday right now or if you're in a Saturday right now, Sunday is on the way. 
said Sunday is on the way. Hang in there long enough to experience your Sunday. And oh, what a great day Sunday was, wasn't it? It was a day when Jesus put one foot on the devil's head, the other foot on the crumbling empire of death, held his hands in the air with the keys of death, hell, and the grave locked in them and shouted, I am the resurrection and the life. I love Sundays. Today I want to talk to you about an event that took place right after he was resurrected. I want to take my title from the text, verse number 32, where they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? And I want to minister to you on the subject of heartburn, heartburn, not the one that you get after you eat too much, which some of you will get later. I almost went Alicia Keys on you, by the way, and said, this heart is on fire, but I didn't, I didn't do it. I'm, I'm staying with heartburn, okay? And I want, to, I want to bypass your head right now. And I want, to, I want God to speak directly to your heart. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to every soul that's here today in a way that only you can? Would you make the reality of this resurrection real to us? We give you praise. We give you honor. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we come to the text, we find two of Jesus' disciples in despair. They are despondent. We know the name of one of them, Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other. They are unnamed. Many scholars believed it was Cleopas' wife, Mary. If it was Cleopas' wife, Mary, then this would have been the aunt and the uncle of Jesus, but we don't know that for sure. And so we'll skip over that part and deal with the fact that their dreams, that their hopes had been dashed. And they, like any reasonable person, watched Jesus suffer on the cross. And then, therefore, they concluded that if he died and stayed dead, if he was put to death and he, and he never was able to defeat death, that indeed he couldn't be who he claimed to be. Then they decided that Jesus was a good person and that Jesus was maybe a mighty prophet and he was somebody who did miracles. But if they killed him and he stayed dead, then he couldn't be God because how could you kill God? How could you kill the person who is supposed to be the author and the giver of life? If he's dead, he can't give life to anybody. And so they were despondent and in despair because what they had hoped for for the last three and a half years of their life, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one, that he was the Savior of the world, had come come crashing down in a moment and they realized that everything that he said about himself was a sham. The whole he who believes in me shall not perish thing. That whole thing, sham. The whole I am the way, the truth, and the life thing, if he was dead and stayed dead, sham. The, the whole, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, sham. If he was dead and stayed dead, it's not true. The whole thing, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as show. It could, it's no, it couldn't be true if he was dead. And so they were despondent and they were in despair because they watched their Savior die on a cruel cross, and they thought that what they saw with their eyes was final. There's only one problem. What they saw wasn't so. Sometimes in life, even though we see certain things, it, it's not necessarily so. Sometimes in life, we've got to wait until the story is over before we draw a conclusion from the story. And that's half of our problem is we, we jump to conclusions before God has had a chance to respond in our situation. And so they have seen Jesus die. And so when Jesus appears to them on this road to Emmaus, this, this dusty road, they don't recognize the resurrected king because their hope has been shattered and their, their expectations have gone unmet. 
And I'm wondering today, as, as you're listening, wherever you are listening from one of our campuses here today, what is keeping you from recognizing Jesus? Is it sin? Is it your friends? Is it culture? Is it self-absorption? Is it being too busy at work? Is it, is it an unmet expectation? Whatever it is, sometimes we just don't recognize Jesus when he comes into our lives. And I could, I could spend the rest of our time theologically explaining to you why you should recognize Jesus as the resurrected Savior. I could give you solid evidence and try to persuade you in your head why it is totally logical to believe that Jesus defied death on that third day. But today, I don't want to speak to your head. I want to bypass your head. I don't want to speak to your reason, although I believe our faith can stand up to reason. Today, I want to, I want to bypass all that, and I want to speak to you right in your heart. I want to speak to you to the place that God communicates to us. God, God bypasses this, and God speaks to us right here in our spirit. Because, see, that's what God is after. God's not after our head. God's not after our fun. God is not after causing us to religiously surrender to him. He doesn't, he's not after a obligatory relationship. God's not looking for you to like his Facebook page. God is wanting your heart. That's what he's after. He's after you deep on the inside. Matter of fact, the prophet Jeremiah tells us this in verse, uh, chapter 31, verse 33. He says, this is a new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day. He says, I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God is after your heart. He wants you to connect with him on a soulish level, not just a mind level, but deep down on the inside of you. And God is so after your heart that God will do whatever it takes to get you to surrender your heart to him. In our stories, we find a couple of ways that God causes our heart to burn. And I want to share those with you. Maybe you can relate to these. The first way that God causes our heart to burn is he chases us down with grace. Think about this story. It's an amazing story. It says, on the same day, the day that Jesus was resurrected, the day that he defeated death, hell, and the grave, the day that, that he, he came forth from uh, uh, hell's very clutches in and came out of that, that grave victorious, the day when he won our salvation, the day when he sealed his deity, the day when he secured our salvation, on that same day, guess what Jesus did? Jesus didn't say, hey, everybody, let's celebrate, raise your glass. He didn't say, let's pop something. Jesus didn't make a meme. Jesus didn't do a Facebook Live. Jesus didn't post a story to Instagram on the day that he defeated death. You know what he did? He ran after two despondent disciples. He had 40 days left on the earth to show himself, to, to celebrate his resurrection. And one of the very first things he does is he runs after two disciples that are in despair and that are doubting. I don't know about you, but if I had 40 days left on the planet, I wouldn't run after doubters. I wouldn't run after people who didn't believe in me. But that's what Jesus did. He ran after these two despondent disciples, and they were full of doubt, and they didn't have to be full of doubt. Because he told them before he was crucified that it was going to happen. He predicted his own death. He said, listen, for three days and three nights, it's going to look like I'm dead. But don't, don't despair. Don't think Friday is final. Don't get caught up in the doubts of Saturday. Understand that Sunday is going to be a triumphant day. And so when he was crucified, it shouldn't have shocked them, but it did. They doubted his word, and yet Jesus runs after them. What kind of God is this? What kind of God 
would run after us. When we are not just in despair, but going in the wrong direction. They went seven miles in the opposite direction of Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. It was supposed to be seven miles of doubt and despair and desperation. It was seven miles that the devil had ordained for them to lose their faith. But how many of you know seven is the number of perfection? And whatever the devil means for evil in our lives, if we will just stay faithful, God will turn it around for our good. So Jesus goes chasing after them. How many has ever been chased down by God? Chased down when you doubted his word. Chased down when you were drowning in despair. Chased down when you were going in the wrong direction with your life. Chased down when you turned your back on him. Chased down when you were steeped in sin. Chased down when you were going the wrong way. Decided to do it. Knew it was wrong but did it anyway. Chased down when you went on a detour in your destiny. And instead of God leaving you like religion says. Because you were less than perfect. God chased you down when you were going in the the opposite direction. Maybe it's just me, but I've done a lot of things to go in the opposite direction. And I'm grateful that God chased me down. Chased me down. David said, where can I go to get away from your presence? If I descend into the lowest valley, you're there. If I go to the highest mountain, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. God chased them down by his grace. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're running from God and God's chasing you down. God loves to chase us down. Moses ran in the opposite direction from God. God chased him down in a bush. Spoke to him from a burning bush. Jonah ran in the opposite direction. God chased him down with a whale. Elijah ran and hid in a cave. God chased him down with a wind, with fire, with a still small voice. Uh, we... There are runners all over scripture, but yet God is constantly chasing us down. The prodigal ran into a pig pen and God spoke to him by putting a thought in his heart. And Thomas ran and hid behind doubt and God spoke to him and chased him down by showing him his scars. And God is chasing some of you right down. And something happens to our heart when God chases you down and you don't deserve it. We begin to wonder why would God love people like us? Why would God love us when we don't deserve to be loved? Why would God love us when we're doing the wrong thing? Why would God love us when we're going in the opposite direction? Why would God love us when we're not good? Because God is just passionately in love with every single one of us. And even if you try to put a wall up and even if you try to run from God, I promise you God will chase you down. God is relentless. What I love about Jesus is he doesn't just chase us down with winds and words and wells. He chases us down with walks. Did you notice they were walking away? And Jesus just met them where they were walking. Do you know you don't have to be perfect in order for God to love you? He will walk with you right where you are. And he walks with them. And he talks with them. This is the one thing I love about God. God walks with us through all seasons of life. He will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll walk with us through the fiery furnaces of life. He'll walk with us through our doubts, through our despairs, through our despondent days. He'll walk with us through our Fridays. He'll walk with us through our Saturdays of doubt. He will walk every step of the way. And the reason why he's walking with us is because he wants our heart. He doesn't desert us. He walks with us, and when Jesus comes alongside, it's like that old thing says, sometimes we don't see him, but that's when he's carrying us. That's why there's only one set of footprints. Something happens in our heart. 
my heart burns. God, I don't deserve your love, but you love me anyway. And suddenly we realize that he's a good God. He's not the God of religion. He's not the God that's out to get us. He's not the God that's out to hurt us. He's not the God that's counting up our sins. He is the God who is forgiving our sins. He's the God that nailed them to the cross. He's the God that came out of the tomb so that we can have eternal life. Our heart burns when he walks with us. Our heart burns when he chases us down by grace. Second thing I want to share with you is that our heart burns. He, he captures our heart when he tells us his story. Do you notice from the text? They told Jesus the story about Jesus. Anybody else think that's funny? Well, Jesus, let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. Has anybody ever tried to tell you your story before? Don't you hate that? You know, you're going through something and, or you've been so, through something. And everybody's got their version of your story. and You should have did this or you should have reacted like that. And if they were you, they would have acted this way or they would have acted. Doesn't that just get on your nerves when somebody tells you your story? They are telling Jesus his story. And Jesus is real cool about it. He's like, yeah, go ahead. What, 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 what's going on? And they get a little sarcastic with Jesus. Did you notice it? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who hasn't heard the news? Here's what they said in English. They said, have you just crawled out from underneath a rock? What's wrong with you, man? Don't you know what's going on? Don't you know? Haven't you heard of Jesus? And Jesus is just like playing it real cool. He's just like, no, I don't know. What, what, what's going on? What, t- tell me your version of the story. And so they begin to tell him, and they say, well, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, he was this cool prophet, and he was this really nice guy, and he did these miracles, and he was mighty in God, but our leaders put him to death, and we had hoped that he was the one. But now we realize that he wasn't. And they say, you know, the girls, they went to the tomb, and, you know, they, they saw that the tomb was empty. They heard from angels, and they came back. They said he was risen, but we didn't believe him. They told their version of the story. Have you ever told God your version of the story? Well, well, you know, what had happened was, God, what, what, what had happened was, see, here's what happens with us. We tell our version of the story in the middle of the story. Can I give you a key to life? Don't tell your story while you're still in the middle. The middle is just the middle. The middle is not the end. It's, it's, it's just the middle. When you tell your story from the middle, you miss out on everything that God is doing. And when we tell our story from the middle, one of the things that we don't realize is that God is working while we're walking. Did you know they didn't even realize that God was at work, but God was working it out while they were walking it out. And sometimes in life, you just got to put one foot in front of the other, and you got to walk, 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 walk. And if you keep walking, eventually God will work it out in your life. They told their story too soon. Jesus said, no, no, no. That's not the right version of the story. It, it ain't what really happened. And then Jesus told them the real version. Remember, he said, oh, foolish ones, aren't you slow of heart to believe everything that the prophet said? Didn't the prophets predict that I had to suffer before I would be resurrected? And then the scripture says, he began to explain himself from Moses through all of the prophets. He preached them a sermon about himself in every book in the Bible. Maybe I'm just a theological geek, but I would have loved to hear that sermon. Would you imagine what that sermon was like? Jesus preached himself to them so that their eyes would be opened in every book in the Bible. Maybe he said something like this. Adam failed in the garden and gave in to temptation, but I stood up in the garden and 
resisted temptation. Cain killed Abel in the garden and his blood cried out for vengeance. But I spilt my blood and it cries out for forgiveness. Abraham left his land for a country he didn't know. I left heaven to come so that you would know. Jacob wrestled with me all night and I touched his hip and gave him a lip as a foreshadowing of the fact that the father will pour out his judgment and on my body would lay bruises so that you could have eternal life. Joseph was betrayed by his brother so he could be put in a place to deliver his brothers and I was betrayed by my brothers to be put in a place to deliver you. Moses stood in the gap for Israel and I stand in the gap for you. Moses commanded that the blood be put on the doorpost so the death angels would pass by and I spilt my blood so that death would pass over you and you would have eternal life. Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and he was delivered to preach to disobedient people and after I came up from the grave, I came to proclaim by victory to you. He preached himself in every book of the Bible. Imagine what that was like. And all of a sudden, their hearts began to burn. All of a sudden, from within them, they began to think, how could we have missed this? Jesus was, was saying, if you listen to my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. If you listen to my story, you would hear love that never gave up. If you listen to my story, you would hear life. You would hear grace that is greater than all of my sin. You would hear when justice and serve was served and mercy did win. If you listen to my story, you would hear victory over the enemy. If you listen to my story, you would hear that freedom was won. If you listen to my story, you would hear how grace overcame the grave. Jesus told them the real story and their heart burned within them. Do you know what he's done for us? He's told us the real story time and time and time and time and time and time again. And not just in church because, forgive me for saying this, some of you would only hear it once a year. Sorry. And he knew that about us. He knew that our human nature was, was not necessarily to just be drawn and committed to the things of God. And so here, here's what he did. He said, if you're not going to go to church to hear the story, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you sure you hear the story over and over and over and over again. Can I tell you the version of the story you've heard over and over and over again? Listen carefully because this is how it goes. A God or God-like being or a hero who is himself the son of God and a mortal woman sets out to bring a great power to mankind, in some cases wisdom, in other cases eternal life. But in the course of his quest, the God hero learns that he must die. Sometimes it's by his own choice. Sometimes he is killed by his enemy. But just when the enemy thinks he has won, the God hero rises from the dead in victory to claim his prize and save mankind from the evil fate the enemy intended. Haven't you heard that story before? I'll prove it to you. Harry Potter... Yes. Superman. Yes. Thor. One, two, and three. <laughs> Captain America. Yes. Neo of the Matrix. Yes. 
Star Trek, Spock, yes. Gondolf, yes. King Arthur, yes. Black Panther, yes. You have heard this story over and over and over. And here's the thing about the story. It's always a big hit, isn't it? They line up to hear the story. The box office records are broke every time the story is told. If you want to write a hit movie, all you need to do is put that in the story and dress it up with a superhero and you will make millions of dollars. Why? Because this story resonates with the heart of humanity. Humanity can't get enough of the story. It has to hear it over and over and over and over and over and over again. We'll spend hours hearing the story, reading books about the story, watching the story. It brings tears to our eyes. It engages our emotions. It, it sticks with us. We just love it so much. Yeah, yeah, but pastor, those are all made up. That's all fantasies and, and myths. That's all fairy tales. I agree. Those stories are, all are. But can anyone deny that there's something in the heart of humanity that longs to hear the story? That sucks our heart in every time we hear it. Why do we love the story? J.R.R. Tolkien, who is instrumental in leading C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, to Christianity from atheism, explained this to Lewis. God has planted the story of his son into the heart of men, and men cannot get away from the story. Why has God woven the story throughout the history of man? Throughout every culture, why, why does this story connect with young and old? Why does it connect with black and white? Why does it connect with male and female? Why does it connect with rich and poor? Why does it connect with skeptic and saint? Why does it connect with the intellectual and those that, that, that are challenged intellectually? Why does it connect with everyone? Because the story goes right past our head and hits us in the heart. Something that God has woven into our souls. We want the story because the story is the real story. It's the story of Jesus. God put it into history. He wove it into humanity. By the way, you know what history is? It's his story. God is so slick. God is so clever. He just wove it in so that we would realize when we heard the real story. Not about a superhero, not about a fairy tale, not about a fantasy, but about a real person, Jesus Christ, who walked this earth, who really did die, who really was buried in a tomb, who really nobody ever found that body, who, who came out of that grave. There is no headstone with Jesus' name on it. You can't go visit the tomb and find the remains of Jesus because it is empty. And God wrote this story so that you and I would recognize the real thing in our heart would burn within us. Can I tell you, even in its simplest form, it's something that connects with us. Listen to the simplest way I can put the story. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Adam sinned. Devil grinned. Seed promised. Men wandered. Prophets warned. Jesus born. God walked. Love talked. Hope died. Grave sealed. Disciples reeled. Demons smiled. God spoke. Earthquake. Light shone. Love rose. Seed grown. Veil torn. Salvation granted. Now watch this, watch this. Do you all know you hadn't clapped for about 15 minutes? But when I told you the story, I didn't even know you were going to clap at that part, but it just goes to show that there's something on the inside that makes everybody just want to rise up and say, yeah, 
That, that, that's the story. Our hearts burn when we hear the story. And just listen to your heart. God's speaking to it right now. There's one other way that God causes our heart to burn because he's after that heart of yours. It's one other way. Notice when Jesus, was, Jesus got them thinking, their hearts were burdened. What did Jesus say? He said, I'll see you all later. They said, no, 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 stay. When, when you start to come around the real Jesus, you don't want to visit him just every now and again. You don't want to just show up for a visit, you know, for a couple of hours on Sunday. What you want is you want to walk with him. You want to talk. Come, come on, stay. Stay with us. Stay with us. We want more. And so Jesus stayed, and he really went after their heart. And here's the third way that God causes our heart to burn. He resurrects our hope. Notice what they said in verse number 21. We were hoping that he was going to be the one. Their hope had been dashed. They were hoping for something that didn't happen. Life didn't turn out the way they had wished, the way that they had wanted, the way that they had mapped out, the way that they dreamed of when they were a little boy or a little girl. Life happened and they got caught up in the middle of the story and they, they thought that Friday was the finality and they forgot about the re reality of the resurrection on Sunday. And some of you might be here right now and life has not turned out the way that you thought it was going to. And maybe your hopes are dashed. But like I said before, and I want to remind you again to remember that Fridays are not final and Sunday is on the way. Then they said, indeed. Beside all this, we had hoped, and then beside all this, it's the third day since these things had happened. And, and this is the part of the story that convinces me in the stupidity of humanity. I include myself in that, by the way. I'm not trying to talk about nobody. Here, here's the reason why. They said, and it's the third day. In other words, they, they knew something about the third day. They knew that on the third day that he was supposed to rise. Matter of fact, they even told Jesus um, on that third day that some of the ladies went down to the tomb, saw an angel. The angel said that they couldn't find his body, that his body wasn't there, and that he was risen. And on the third day, somebody went to the tomb, saw that it was empty, and an angel reported that he was risen, and they quit hoping on the third day. Come on, that is a testimony of the stupidity of humanity. Why, why would they stop hoping before the day was out? And here's what God wants us to take away. Don't start hoping. Don't stop hoping when you are so close to your resurrection. Don't stop hoping when you are at the end of your third day. Don't stop hoping right before God resurrects your situation. Don't give up hope right now. You are so much closer than you think. Jesus is reeling them in because their heart is on fire. And he, he, he stays the night. They convince him, come on, come on, stay the night. Jesus says, yes. I sleep over with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I love that. He agrees to have dinner with him. And the Bible says at dinner time, you'll notice this. It says that he took the bread and he broke it. And when he did so, their eyes were opened. What was it about the breaking of that bread that opened their eyes? Well, maybe when Jesus was walking... Jesus had his hands in his pocket, maybe down by his side. But when Jesus got before them, he took the bread and he 
broke. He took the bread and he broke it. Let me, let me make sure you all get this. He, he took the bread and he, and when he broke it, suddenly they saw with their eyes the scars from the nails. And they realized that the same Savior that was crucified on Friday was now resurrected on Sunday because they saw the scars. When they saw the scars, all of a sudden their pain made sense. When they saw the scars, all of a sudden their hope was resurrected again. Can I tell you what God wants you to know? If you will just keep hoping to the end of your third day, eventually your pain, eventually your scars will begin to make sense. But don't quit before the end of your third day because God is working while you're walking. God will chase you down with grace. God will walk with you. God will talk with you. God will get in your mess with you. And God is after your heart. God wants to resurrect your hope. If you came in here today doubting whether God could turn your life around, God wants you to know that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to resurrect your hope. He's resurrected your hope. He's resurrected your hope. He's resurrected your hope. He is the God of resurrected hope. 